Welcome back to the Facts Matter podcast. It's a production of the Citizens Research Council, where we explore important policy issues facing our state. I'm Maureen McNulty-Saxton, the CRC's Communications Director, and I'm excited to dig into an issue, a very critical issue facing, facing Michigan women, and uh, primarily, and we don't hear a whole lot of discussion about it, and it's called Intimate Partner Violence, or IPV. It's a serious public health concern for Michigan and women across the country. Um, I'm here today with CRC Research Associate Carly Abramson, uh, whose work focuses on health policy for the Research Council. In a recent blog, she discussed how a broad range of policy strategies beyond public health are necessary to reduce the prevalence of IPV. So Carly, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I will readily admit, uh, before reading your blog, I was not familiar with uh, intimate partner violence, and I'm still, uh, I still feel like I have a lot to learn. Um, can you give us a sense of the scope of the problem and why it should be uh, a public policy priority in Michigan? Sure. So yeah, I think the reason some people haven't heard of the term is often subsumed under just domestic violence um, generally. And that's kind of the, the phrase we use um, in more common language when we're talking. Um, but intimate partner violence refers to a specific type of abuse and, and aggression in uh, romantic relationships. So this doesn't have to just occur in a family unit. Um, this could include dating relationships or any form of stalking. Um, so just kind of a wider range of different types of romantic relationships and the abuse and aggression, including um, psychological aggression that goes on um, in romantic relationships. And um, the reason I wanted to um, write a blog about it is, um, well, I was inspired, it was Women's History Month in March and I was, I was thinking about issues that really impact women in Michigan and ones that kind of deserve special attention. And intimate partner violence is, very uh, widespread. Um, and that's, it's, it's widespread and we probably don't know half of what, of the actual incidents that are, you know, that are uh, taking place. It's the kind of thing that is likely to be very underreported, but even what we know is a very, it's, it's very wise, widespread. It accounts for about one fifth of all violent crime. And the reason it's so important is it's linked not to just injury, but a whole range of uh, negative health outcomes. So it's not just about that immediate injury that, that happens in these types of situations. Um, it leads to a lot of other health conditions, mental health conditions, more, more uh, susceptibility to chronic disease. Um, and then there's also a more um, wide, wide reaching um, cost to the state. Um, there's an economic cost to the state when you're adding those additional health healthcare issues. And then, you know, since it's an, it's an issue that disproportionately impacts women, both men and women do experience this, but it has, it's usually um, a situation that women go through more often than men. And in my opinion, anytime a marginalized group is experiencing a health issue um, at a higher rate than other groups, I think that deserves um, more focused attention and um, more, you know, focused strategizing about how we solve that problem. 
Yeah, when you were just talking, there were two things you said that uh, had not crossed my mind about this issue. And one was uh, IPV as, you know, being reported. And I know that domestic violence is often underreported. And it, it just made me wonder, do hospitals, is it a term that hospitals, you know, make a check on if women come in that um, that have been injured or or police departments when they're called to a situation is IPV kind of in that list of things that they are checking on. Uh, so, and the second, oh, I'm sorry. And the second oh, question I just had for you is you mentioned psychological um, abuse and or psychological uh, violence and or 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 other violence and i was wondering what kind of other violence there was that wasn't sure so when we say like psychological um aggression or other kind of non-violent aggression there's a lot of different ways that abuse can happen in a um, romantic relationship um sometimes that takes the form of uh financial abuse so really anything that one partner can use to control the other partner, sometimes that's more psychological tactics, sometimes it's financial tactics, and sometimes it's more physical violence. So IPV is meant to incorporate all of those kind of different strategies of control that one partner uses over another. So that's that's what I'm referring to there. Um, when it comes to the term IPV used in hospitals or other healthcare, healthcare um, settings, um, it probably depends on the particular entity, whether or not that's the term they use or if they use domestic violence. Um, Michigan does not have, um, I, I don't believe Michigan has a state law that requires that all health professionals and health entities screen for IPV. So that would be a matter of um, that being like the individual health entities protocol to, to screen for it or not. And it's one of the strategies that I discuss in the blog is having laws at the state level that require more of that screening um, among all types of health healthcare providers so that they're all trained to kind of recognize and have that um, inform their treatment when they're dealing with a patient. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, you know, with, with the problem that Michigan in particular has with human trafficking too, that this is just one more, one more tool that law enforcement and health agencies can use to kind of weed out bad actors and and um, and protect exactly. primarily women, as you said, not that it doesn't happen to men. Exactly. Um, and then is, is Michigan doing anything to address IPV currently? Yeah. So, and Michigan does have some, um, some laws about other uh, entities, um, police, de uh, police departments, for example, um, they're, they are required to do uh, develop policies and train employees for responding to any um, domestic violence call. Um, uh, universities receiving um, Title IX funding are required to provide sexual assault training to um, campus personnel. So there are some laws at the state level that require that kind of training to be done by different, you know, entities. Um, and, um, and then there's other types of laws too. So Michigan does have um, some laws that um, provide some protection. So um, people who experience IPV may, they're, allow they're allowed to use paid medical leave to obtain services, to seek treatment, if they need to relocate for whatever reason. Um, they're also protected against being denied uh, employment benefits, health insurance, life insurance. So there are some of those protections. And, um, and we also, fund um, various services for survivors. 
Um, and so a lot of what we do at the state level is about that kind of protecting them from being discriminated against in other arenas and also providing them services um, after the fact. You know, not there aren't many laws that focus particularly on prevention of IPV. That's what I was starting to pick up from you. It sounds like, but there's more that we could be doing. What what would be some policy solutions that you've discovered? Definitely. So that yeah, it's um since it's such a wide issue and it it intersects different policy issues. So there's obviously an issue of crime, and then there's an issue of health and the economic cost to the state. Mm -hmm. um, there, you know, it it gets into kind of gun laws and sex education, and it really can, the different kind of strategies um, that you can take to approach this can come from all over. And that's honestly the way that it should be because it's such a pervasive problem. It really should be, um, should be kind of attacked from all angles and any angle that, that we can, right? So, um, you know, I, I mentioned before providing more training for healthcare um, providers to make sure that they can recognize those signs um, when they're dealing with patients and be able to refer them to the appropriate services if they need. Mm -hmm. We can also do um, more when it comes to transitional housing services to get, um, to get victims out. So that's one of the primary obstacles that keep um, victims in a uh, dangerous situation is not having a stable place to go. Mm -hmm. And so Michigan does, we do receive um, federal funding for intimate partner violence, you know, um, efforts. Um, but we don't we don't specifically focus it on this transitional housing. Um, so we could put more of an effort and focus on onto that um, to make sure that people have a safe place to go, that they will be able to get back on their feet, that it's not just kind of a short-term shelter, that it you know sets them up to be able to live in independently out of their um, dangerous environment. So that's yeah. that's another area. Um, comprehensive sex education as well. Um, you know, making sure that, um, you know, when, when you first even start to hear about what a romantic relationship looks like when you're a kid, to have that education about what a healthy relationship looks like, what consent means, um, you know, what open communication looks like, kind of incorporating that in, in a part of the whole comprehensive sex education when you're teaching kids about relationships. Um, that's something that you kind of do, you know, way before you hope that this becomes a problem to try to instill those, um, that type of knowledge, because a, a lot of times this can be um, a, a product of just your cultural environment as well. Um, and people learn from watching people. And so if you start to kind of instill those different messages from a young age, that could also um, be effective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lastly, um, well, not lastly, but lastly, well, the ones I talked about in the blog, um, gun, uh, gun control. Um, it, it has been shown in studies that um, access to guns increases the risk of IPV and uh, or of IPV, and it also increases the risk of death in any specific IPV situation. Um, so, you know, Michigan is doing some um, is uh, enacting some legislation about um, guns, and with the Democratic legislature, um, there might be more gun control measures that are passed. There aren't any that. Um, really specifically focus on preventing um, people who have been convicted of, of domestic violence or IPV from uh, uh, you know, restricting their access to guns. Um, mm -hmm. 
but that's a direction that you can go is, is try to focus on certain people who have a, a, a history of violence, a history of domestic violence and um, pass laws that restricted their access to guns instead of a, you know, a wide sweeping gun uh, reform measure. So there's different ways you can go about it, but the research between guns and domestic violence and intimate partner violence is strong, um, showing that connection. So that's another avenue um, to help reduce the overall rate of IPB instead of just providing services after the fact. Right. If, if you had, uh, if you had your choice of, of one piece of legislation that, that we could prioritize in this state to strengthen, uh, to st strengthen protections for women, um, what would it be? It's a very difficult question. Um, and I think it's really hard because, and one of the reasons that there are multiple strategies is because that's that's the that multi-level approach. Everything has to work together, and so it's very hard to pick just one because just one isn't enough. It's that big of a problem where it's not going to be solved with just one solution. You know, I understand that Michigan has to prioritize certain things. We only have a, a certain amount of money, um, and we only have a budget for for certain things. And it makes sense to focus a lot of that on providing those services, um, but ultimately we'll save money in the end if we start thinking more proactively and we start focusing more on those preventative um, types of strategies as opposed to the providing services after the fact. So if it were me, I would I would definitely focus on the ones that are more preventative. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. The um, are, are there there are there specific obstacles or or challenges um, that that exist right now? Uh, uh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> um, so part of it is just, some of it is just organizational um, or, you know, kind of either getting more funding or figuring out how to allocate that funding. So some of that is more just administrative. Mm -hmm. um, there are other more political barriers to this issue. Mm -hmm. um, Sex education is always politically controversial. Um, it's an issue that parents think that they should have control over what their children learn about sex and that this is kind of outside the scope of what they should learn in school. Mm -hmm. um, so, so Michigan, you know, Michigan only really, first of all, doesn't require uh, public schools to teach sex ed at all. Um, but if they do, the only thing that they're required to include is um, curriculum on uh, HIV. Okay. So the Michigan has passed laws in the past to say, if you're teaching sex education, you have to, you know, you have to teach about this. Mm -hmm. um, so it's in their, it's in their power to say, huh. you know, we, we want, we want any sex education program to include this particular issue. We really think that this is an important thing that ha has to be covered. Yeah. But, you know, um, like I said, parents really feel like that crosses a line into um, kind of their personal family business and Mm -hmm. um, really, you know, there's opinions about their kids being indoctrinated. And so that tends to be a little bit of a more politically divisive issue. It's hard to just enforce that sex education across the board. Um, and then obviously gun control is a hugely divisive issue. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really hard to make any sort of ground on taking away guns or it's, you know, putting up any sorts of restrictions. Mm -hmm. And so the, unfortunately, I think the strategies that would be 
most effective are the ones that will probably face the most political pushback. Um, and so I think that's that's the biggest obstacle is is trying to um, overcome those those barriers and um, you know and and I think one of the ways you do that is through education and yeah. explaining how this is a problem that affects everybody um, and the ripple effects of of this for you know society at large are it's it's just it is something that impacts everyone in in the long run. Yeah, and it's too bad that that it it would have to be tied into sex education because it's more if, if if it could be taught in schools as what you said just um kind of healthy relationships under the banner of of healthy relationships and it doesn't even have to be um it you know it could be same sex um it, it's healthy friendships because obviously you know that so it's it's you know respect of listening and and healthy um mm-hmm. uh disagreements mm-hmm. um and so start you know start with a friendship because it's that like you said it's that modeling that's so right critical early and being on. able to to recognize the signs of an unhealthy relationship are really mm-hmm. difficult because we don't we don't really learn what healthy and unhealthy is from the media um and so if you if you don't even if you don't know what to look out for it's very hard to spot mm-hmm. in some you know in some situations so yeah. Well, you have said two things that I want to jump on. Uh, one is a tease for our next podcast. Um, it's funny how when one, when there's a, a problem in one uh, public policy area, once there's resolution or it's resolved, it actually helps resolve multiple areas. And exactly. you talked about transitional housing for women. And we have a podcast that will be coming up in terms of tenant protection and oh, yeah. Michigan's affordable housing um, uh, issues. And um, and another thing you said was the importance of catching things early on and the, the how preventative measures would be so much more helpful. Yes. You, know, where you believe it's, that's, that's where the change will be made. And I just want to uh, pick your brain a little bit on some research you did on heart health. And, oh, sure. And I know that there's a recent, um, you know, uh, it's kind of in the news lately on the preventive side of it that uh, with uh, with the um, uh, federal Obamacare that uh, the preventative measures are are going on for now. Mm-hmm. They might be on the chopping block and right. heart disease and from reading your blog, I had no idea heart disease was such a killer, not only in Michigan, but nationally. Probably, yeah, it, maybe at least nationally. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely um, across the country and across Michigan. Um, it's the number one killer. And um, it's interesting why it doesn't receive as much attention considering it's it, it, it could be something that it's so commonplace that it kind of becomes invisible. Um, you know, that it, it's something that almost everybody knows somebody who's struggling or has had a heart attack or every kind, you know, it's, right. it's, and a lot of the things that lead to heart disease are things that we're all dealing with, you know, uh, we're trying to exercise more and eat healthier and, you know, yeah. keep uh, track of our blood sugar, you know, those are things that kind of fold into other health issues as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so, but heart disease kind of, uh, and in contrast to the IPV uh, that we were just talking about, it, where that you know primarily uh, disproportionately affects one particular group, even though it has ripple effects for everybody, heart disease affects everybody um, across all ethnic backgrounds, um, 
you know, both um, men and women uh, experience it. It can present differently on your um, demographic. Uh, sorry, it can <laughs> it can uh, it can present differently um, for men and women. It can present differently from different socioeconomic yeah. Um, yeah. statuses. So you know, it can look very different, but it's something that that is very widespread. Yeah, I I remember kind of, I, I feel like uh, heart disease month is now known. It, 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 to me as a layman, it, it, um, it became known late after breast cancer awareness mm -hmm. and all of that. But now, you know, I think everyone knows they wear red. They wear red the month of Valentine's right. Day and that's heart yeah. disease awareness. Yeah, and it, it yeah. started to get more, um, more attention when we actually started to frame it and, um, kind of pull out the particular women's health issue about it. Um, I think for a while it was heart disease was seen as a very know, masculine disease for some reason. We only associated heart attacks with men, yeah. um, but there's been a lot of public health messaging you know, over the past decade or so that has brought attention to how it impacts women. And so I think that has made, um, has kind of shown another light um, yeah. onto the issue and made it you know, on people's radars a little bit more. Has Michigan increased its, um, I, I mean, is there anything that either state or local governments do to kind of get at the root of the problem since one in every five deaths are related? Yeah. To yeah. I mean, it's, um, there's a it, it kind of, there's a lot of different ways that you can address this issue as well. Um, like we were talking about, there's kind of treatment approaches and then there's preventative approaches. And mm -hmm. um, so the CDC recommends a, a wide range of strategies and Michigan does a pretty good job of adopting them, but there's definitely room for, for more um, that can be done. And considering it's such a widespread pervasive issue, we really should be trying to do everything that we can, everything that's on the list for preventing heart disease, we should be checking off um, since it's such a, you know, a big problem. Um, so, you know, there's um, public access uh, D defibrillation programs, mm -hmm. um, which essentially kind of coordinate and organize AED use across the state. Mm -hmm. And so Michigan um, Michigan currently implements six of the seven recommended components of those. Um, and the last one is something that can kind of easily be folded into a, an organizational structure we already have. So there, there's, you know, there's things like that. There's, um, there's research that shows that um, collaborative practice agreements, um, particularly with pharmacists, um, can help kind of can help reduce um, some of those um, some things that are associated with heart disease, so hypertension, um, and and basically collaborative practice agreements pretty much allow pharmacists to engage in um, other healthcare besides prescribing. Um, mm -hmm. And as long as they're being supervised by a um, physician. And so they kind of right. enter into this agreement with a physician so that they can provide healthcare beyond the typical pharmacist um, training. And so, and, and Michigan generally has a pretty um, broad delegation um, policy of, um, about that. The issue is, is that the Board of Medicine can come in and restrict that whenever it wants. 
So if we had something in statute that kind of cemented the ability of pharmacists and other commute, like other healthcare professionals who are embedded in the community that they serve mm. to be able to expand their services, yeah. Yeah. that's, that, those are things that, you know, research shows really, really helps. Um, yeah. You know, there's uh, workplace health uh, promotion programs um, and there could be more laws about um, kind of dictating exactly what should be in those um, and ma making sure that there's accurate and, you know, the most relevant information that is available in those. Mm -hmm. And then other, um, uh, the other really, I think, big thing um, that Michigan doesn't do um, is laws that um, try to aim for sodium reduction. Mm -hmm. And so these laws, you know, would set sodium limits um, on different food products, um, would require menu labeling, those kinds of things that, yeah. you know, from a, a very public health approach. Um, and so that's, that's a particular place where Michigan lacks. Um, so it sounds like there are some other states that go beyond. Uh, what yeah, but not, not many other states do the sodium reduction. That's, huh. um, that's not popular in most places. <laughs> that's not just a Michigan <laughs> issue. Um, but yeah, but other, other states, um, you know, are, are, are checking off more of the boxes on, on the checklist than, than we are. It's not that we're not doing things, it's not that we're not doing a good job. Um, but when it comes to heart disease, it, it should be everything we can, you know, everything that is feasible, we should be trying to do. Yeah. Wow. I mean, um, I, this has been a really great conversation. I like how one, uh, you know, there's a lot of easy fixes. There's some hard fixes. There's hard things we can do, but um, um, I really appreciate your time. And um, I want to thank you for, you know, being uh, an expert and caring about these things. Um, uh, Carly Abramson is a research analyst with the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, which marks its 107th birthday this month, providing, and it provides re Michigan residents with public policy research and expertise. You heard that right. Since 1916, the CRC has been providing lawmakers, academics, the media, and all Michiganders with factual, unbiased, independent information on significant issues concerning state and local government organizations and finance. Uh, the Research Council is a nonprofit relying primarily on charitable donations, and that's what provides this kind of hardcore research and expertise of Carly's and all of the other researchers free of charge. So please consider going online at crcmichigan.org or on Twitter at crcmich and download our research. Check out our numerous blogs and listen to our podcasts. And while you're there, please consider supporting us with a with a donation. A fact tank cannot run on fumes alone. Uh, this has been Facts Matter, a podcast presentation of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. Thanks again, Carly. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.